1: Hour number two of the Bruce Hooley show starts right now. Uh, First, I want to say thank you to the Freedom Foundation. Uh, The Freedom Foundation has been freeing government employees from union bondage since that Janus decision about five years ago now, in in which the court said, look, if you want a government job, you don't have to join a union to get it. If you have a government job, you don't have to stay in a union to keep it. And if you're not, In a union, you don't have to pay union dues. Now, the union is twisting itself into a pretzel trying to figure out how to keep people in the union uh, and making sure that they are able to opt out. But they genuinely make it hard. There have been uh, at least three cases in Ohio this year uh, that unions have lost because employees were either coerced or uh, misled or made – I don't know. made it more difficult for them I guess – To opt out. But if you go to optouttoday.com, that's where you need to go, optouttoday.com, you can see how simple and seamless it is to opt out of your union. Why does that matter? Two reasons. You'll save about $1,000 per year, and despite what Corinne Jean-Pierre says about GDP and uh, employment, uh, you only need to go to the grocery store uh, or or pay an energy bill to know uh, that prices are higher, and that's real money to you right now. And maybe the bigger part is that you keep that money away from union bosses who almost singularly support one cause. That's the Democrats. That's the progressives. That's the global Marxists. Um, So thank you to the Freedom Foundation for your work in educating government employees and for getting them opted out of their unions and for your support of the Ohio Press Network where I'm editor-in-chief. All right. uh, Let's bring her in right now. I want to welcome – Uh, Lisa Logan, she's a a mother from Utah and she is a researcher extraordinaire and, uh, has provided a tremendous amount of, uh, accurate commentary on what's going on in the crazy world that we live in. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the Bruce Willis show. How are you today?
2: I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you,
1: Jack. Hey, absolutely. Um, we're, I definitely want to talk about this federal plan for equitable long-term recovery and resilience. Well, that sounds flowery. Uh, but before. Longest
2: name ever. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> uh, some government bureaucrat somewhere figured that one out. Um, maybe or, or, or their corporate sponsors. But before we get into that, I don't know if you heard the news and you probably haven't today. Ohio governor Mike DeWine vetoed a bill. That bill had two important provisions. One of them would have kept men out of women's sports and out of their private areas, uh, changing areas, et cetera. And it would have outlawed the prescription of puberty blocker drugs, cross-sex hormones, and you know, lopping off of body parts in the name of uh, gender-affirming care. You have written – and by the way, if you're listening, uh, I know you're, a lot of you are readers at the Ohio Press Network. When you go to the Ohio Press Network, search up Lisa Logan – uh, several great articles we'll refer to later, but one of those is um, Title None, <laughs> No Protections for Girls and Women as White House Plays Word Games uh, in Title IX. And so today's veto by a Republican governor in Ohio kind of re- relates to that. But I just want to get your, I don't know, visceral response to uh, the governor vetoing a bill like House Bill 68 today.
2: I can say nothing other than it's disgusting. Uh that's the sad part. And that's why I wrote that, that article is titled none. Um, you know, women have fought so hard to have equal rights in this country. And, um, whether that, whether that be the right to vote, um, the right to participate in sports or any of that stuff. And we were seen as kind of lessers to men. And it's kind of crazy that now we see that women are taking, again, taking a back seat, um, and not being protected. And it's, being a mother of a 10-year-old daughter myself, uh, who has to worry now about my daughter going into public restrooms by herself, um, in case you know this happens in my state, um, I, I just think that it's it's sad that we have to worry about those things. Um, I, and, and not to say that every person who wants to have puberty blockers or participate in a sport that you know does not match their gender is bad. Uh, I think it's just to say that. We're, we're having the wrong conversation. Uh, we should be helping these people who, who clearly um, are confused. Uh, a lot of times uh, this actually prevents people who are homosexuals from just be, being homosexuals. Um, mm-hmm. They say they have to chop off body parts and things like that. I, mean, I, I think we have to help these people instead of enable behaviors that could be potentially dangerous to them and to the rest of the community.
1: It's interesting. You know, there's always an outlier. Uh, on, on both sides of the bell curve, and what I mean by the bell curve is on average, people act a certain way, and then you have extremes on both ends, right? Well, when it comes mm-hmm. to <clears throat> this type of thing, gender dysphoria, um, that number is really, really small, and what we're failing to account mm-hmm. for is social contagion. Um, mm-hmm. The The numbers of people who are gender confused claiming to be gender dysphoric is off the charts, and it's certainly well beyond – an outlier, which this would be. But I guess the the disturbing part, and then I'll get one more comment from you on this and then we'll move on, is that when you look at how this is now uh, playing into our world, title nine protected women's programming and spaces. And now all of a sudden a dude uh, who wants to pretend to be a girl, maybe legitimately or for nefarious purposes, whether it's in the job market, the sports arena or politics, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't. I can't think of anything more misogynistic than allowing that to happen. Men are taking over every area where women made progress.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, do you see it that way as well? Sorry, I just, I'm, I'm mind, I'm just mind blown to all of this.
2: Well, I think the the, the huge example here, Jack, is you don't see a lot of uh, women who are identifying as men vying to participate and compete in men's sports. And because there is an unfair advantage there, right? Um, I think it's kind of comical in a way. The United Nations has for a long time, and, um, you know, we'll talk more about how they're a very nefarious organization, but for the longest time we're promoting equal um, gender rights and equality for women. And we see just a total reversal here. Uh, yes, they're able to get the protections and special treatments, um, that is, and, and not just being uh, identifying as women, but as a, a quote-unquote oppressed class, they're able to get special protections and special um, preferential treatment um, that girls and women cannot have.
1: It's lunacy. Speaking of lunacy, we've got about three and a half minutes before our first break. Let's dive into the federal plan for equitable long-term recovery and resilience. And as you unpack it, I'm going to ask two questions, and then just <laughs> answer and start there. Resilience, what does resilience mean? And then recovery from what? What are we recovering from? So, um, uh,
2: well, well, I'll just introduce it since we only have a few minutes. But this whole thing was started, the federal plan, we'll just call it that for now because it's such a long name, uh, was started during um, the pandemic. And there was an interagency work group formed to facilitate not only coming up with a plan for the recovery of the nation from this crisis. Um, but also um, the country's resilience towards future crises to come. Now, um, anytime your audience should hear the word resilience, they should think of the word communist, because that's literally what they're doing. They're using the excuse of creating a resilient uh, communities uh, as a backdoor way of implementing all of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals through the flexible and very copious funding allowed through our Congress um, through these omnibus spending packages. So... That's basically it in a nutshell, although we'll come back later and talk about the details.
1: So what I think I just heard is that resilience from uh, future crises and recovery <laughs> from the last crisis, which was in that case, it was the pandemic. So the uh, the benevolent government uh, created the federal plan through this interagency work group that's going to solve all of our problems under the guise of recovery and resilience. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Yeah. And and that interagency has now collaborated to, um, across agencies, direct funding to communities to basically create a surveillance state in cities and towns in order to measure resilience. And they've connected it to all of the sectors in the economy.
1: Okay. So we've got about a minute here. And so then, now they've got a work group, they've got these goals, recovery, resilience, and the way that they measure it is through surveillance. And you said, in one minute, what do you mean they connected it to all the work groups? How, how does that look?
2: So all, all these agencies basically said, well, in order to experience resilience, um, we need to have uh, excellence in these seven vital conditions. And basically what these are are the social determinants of health. So we're not just talking about the health of the community. We're talking about, well, in order to experience health, we have to change transportation and we have to change housing, um, to require high density housing. And we have to create these 15 minute cities so that they're walkable and people are healthy. And I mean, it's literally the implementation of all of these objectives, uh, to, you know, collect data on people through, um, you know, they're going to build all of the infrastructure and data monitoring, um, into these cities through the funding. But basically it's, It's so that they can literally control every sector of our lives and make it so that we have to comply with their health mandate.
1: So uh, we're going to break here now, but I just want to remind listeners, I'll dig and I'll find um, the language. But Ohio, in its last budget process, already outlined these economic development area in these smart city areas. So if you think this isn't happening here, you're wrong. We're going to talk more about it on the other side of the spray with lisa logan so stay tuned to 98.9 fm the answer welcome back in i am joined on the line by lisa logan And uh, she has done a tremendous amount of research on the federal plan for equitable long-term recovery, or as uh, we're simplifying it down to for the sake of this discussion, the federal plan. Now, before we went to break, she unpacked the idea that – not idea, the fact that the government is infusing uh, federal funding into communities, uh, helping them uh, recover from the crisis and create resilience – toward future crises. And we left off talking about how there's now a surveillance state afoot because the idea is the government wants to collect data on transportation and housing and uh, what's taught in schools. And and so I'm going to stop right there. And Lisa, I don't know if you know this. And so I'm going to share it with you and get your reaction to it. And hopefully our listeners are paying attention. One of the things Governor Mike DeWine said today when he vetoed House Bill 68 he said, we don't have all the information, so I'm going to create uh, you know, a task force, basically. Uh, he didn't say those words verbatim, but uh, are, the agencies are going to start collecting all this information on our kids and on these treatments, and we're going to report these this information every six months. Sounds a lot like what you're talking about, doesn't it?
2: And it actually sounds a lot like what they did in my state of Utah as well. Uh, the, this is exactly it. Um, they have to collect this data to prove that they need to fund this and they're as programs more. Um and that's and that's the scary part. There's many, many entities collecting data. And in my presentation um that's actually linked in the article that was published in um the Liberty Sentinel is it, it talks about there's various entities. There's universities in every state collecting this data and um disseminating it and indexing it and organizing it for for various groups uh there's the state level people um and federal people collecting data now these are through like city health dashboards surveys that your kids get in school mm-hmm. uh, uh polls like gallup or <clears throat> or um, other ones uh reports that are coming out through various uh think tanks and things like that and the the whole purpose of this is to create a narrative um that they want to create around these particular topics right so they'll say oh look all these children are identifying as non-binary, um, and therefore we need to take care of them. Um, these are services they're not getting, so we need to turn our schools into medical facilities um, where they can get hormone blockers, a um, uh, prescription for that, or maybe uh, reproductive health services at school. And, and this is literally what's happening through the federal plan. Um, this, this infusion of money, um, and they say this too in the federal plan, that it's going to require all voices, all lived experiences. You know, we've, we've heard that before through various other means, right? Yep. So they're going to they're going to have to include these voices um, and make them relevant um, to the discussion on how they're going to spend this money and how their budgets are going to go. Uh, the scary part of this is part of the federal plan, and we talked about data monitoring. Is they created their own um, measurement framework? Uh, it's called the Wellbeing in the Nation Measurement Framework. Uh, now, this framework uh, has, you know, leading indicators, which are basically uh, the, their main things that for a while there had nothing to do with the social determinants of health. Right. Uh, right. States would say we're going to collect data on obesity rates and how many people are smoking or doing drugs or um, all of these kinds of things that we know um, are healthy or not healthy for a person, right? And they definitely contribute to the lifespan of an individual. Well, they, as a part of this framework, brought in other data sets, what they call flexible data sets. Um, scary. One of the videos I included in my presentation was um, one of the we- women who came up with this framework or helped to uh, talking about how they want to include the perception of everyday racism as a as a health measure. And so we're talking about someone's subjective perception of whether or not their community is racist um, being put into a state health needs assessment, right? So the, the state health needs assessment decides what your state budget and requires as being important for their state health improvement plan. So this is, this is a problem all across the board because they're using data as both a way to surveil us, obviously, and then also as a tool to enforce these communist
1: policies. So I want to bring this to a level that I think most of us can, can really Feel in our guts. I want to bring this to what's being taught in schools. And then I also want to connect a dot for our listeners. Uh, recently, and we're going to talk about this more next week on this show uh, school based health services. There's been an allocation mm-hmm. of money in Ohio for these school based clinics. Now, that's one issue where you've just said they're collecting data. And now they're saying, hey, these things are on the rise. So in these clinics, we need to offer X and Y and Z treatments. But let me tell Mm -hmm. you something else in the state of Ohio. We just passed issue one. And issue one contains all of the legal language that would allow a minor to make decisions as, quote, an individual, his or her own accord, without parental involvement. And it would prohibit a parent or any other third party from interfering with that. Um, mm-hmm. the stage is set, Lisa, in the state of Ohio. Yep. I don't think people are even, they're, they're so mind numb to what's on their Facebook news feed. Um, one people need to wake up. So what's, what's being taught and, and what's being treated in schools? Let's talk about that. What have you discovered?
2: Well, and this actually ties back to the federal plan as well, Jack. Uh, one of the seven vital conditions is basic needs for health and safety, now, they've talked about providing, and it's interesting, in, in these things, they have certain items that are starred, that things they haven't addressed yet. One of those is sexual reproductive health uh, and because they have 78 recommendations for each of these seven vital conditions um, or as a whole for these seven vital conditions. And so part of this plan is to teach the whole child. They need to provide for the whole child, which is why these school-based health clinics are a thing. Because they're saying, well, we need to provide for the basic needs of children. Well, who decides what children's basic needs are, right? Um, is it their parents or does that fall into the purview of the parents? Is it the role of the state to provide all these services for kids at school, especially without the consent of their parents? We're talking about kids being able to get vaccinated at school without parental involvement or consent. Uh, we're talking about getting a prescription for puberty blockers, seeing someone for mental health problems, right? And we know that from, you know, the the School Psychology Association and ASCA, the School Counselors Association, they have the position of affirming every single child, no matter what is going on in their life. Um, they have to affirm whatever identity that they're saying that they are and not dive into maybe there's problems at home, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's other issues.
1: About 30 and, seconds on this side of the break, Lisa, go ahead.
2: Yeah, and, and, so this, this whole child design in schools is very intentional. It's made to A, have to have everything be culturally responsive, which is another way to say they're going to teach critical race theory in every single facet of our children's education, um, but then also that these medical services are going to be offered at school and that includes spirituality um, and, and everything else. And, and it's, it's literally the federal government's intentional taking away of parental rights um, in our children's lives And and that's the scariest part, Jack
1: Okay, more on this On the other side
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn Head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit Of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells